Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. James chapter 1, I'm going to read a few verses from this. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, but being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would give us hungry hearts and and attentive minds. Father, that we would uh, go away from this word, as it says later in this chapter, being doers of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The book of James is written by the brother of Jesus. So, uh, Jesus' brother um, by Mary. Uh, the, the book of James is often called uh, the Proverbs of the New Testament because uh, of its practical focus. I think it, it has a, certainly a different feel from Proverbs, but it's, it's a call to live obediently. It's a call to show your faith by your works. And so in that sense, it's similar to the, the book of Proverbs. A covenant living, I guess we would call that. Uh, the, um, the book begins as many of the epistles of Paul and others start by James calling himself a slave of God. You know, bond servant there. That's an okay translation. I prefer slave. Um, it's it's more dramatic, certainly, but I think it gets closer to the meaning of the the word there. Um, but we're slaves of God. The apostles called themselves slaves of God. We do not have freedom from God from His commands. He's Lord, right? So that's why it's easy for them to uh, begin by calling themselves that way. And then he says something about considering trials joy. You'll remember that passage. Perhaps that's been uh, a rebuke or an encouragement to you in the midst of trials. Uh, Trials are anything that tests our obedience to God. Anything that tests your obedience to God. And now the Holy Spirit leads to this uh, topic of prayer. It makes sense that James would go from trials and endurance to the topic of prayer, asking things of God when, when they're needed. Trials are often the cause of our prayerfulness, aren't they? They're often the cause of your prayerfulness. You've been prayerless, and then something difficult comes along, and then you remember that, oh, there's a God that I can pray to to help me. Um, In fact, there's nothing nothing like a good test, a good trial to cause us to humble ourselves before God and to ask him to give us wisdom, to give us healing, to give us purity, to give us love, to give us whatever we may need at that moment. Um, So what does the Holy Spirit teach us about prayer in this passage? So in verse 5, we learn 
a number of things. First, we lack wisdom and therefore must ask God to supply it. Now, if you don't accept that, if you don't accept that truth that we lack wisdom, you're never going to pray. And if you are prayerless, you're assuming the opposite. You're assuming you have all the wisdom you need if you don't pray, right? And, and um, you know, if, if, you, if you find yourself always confessing your prayerlessness, it's essentially you believe that you have your wisdom and you're going to make your decisions from the deposit that you have now. That wisdom may be your experience. You've had a lot of experience. It may be your education, it may be that you've read extensively, it may just be homegrown sort of common sense. But that's your deposit and you're going to make all of your decisions from that. But let me be clear that wisdom, that wisdom, that deposit is not the wisdom you need. You need supernatural wisdom. That's the kind of wisdom that comes directly from God. Right? That kind of wisdom that would would have Abraham take Isaac to be sacrificed. Right? All of his, his common sense, all of his experience, all of his innate you know, uh, feelings would have led him to an opposite conclusion. But God said to him, take your son, your only son Isaac, and sacrifice him. And he needed wisdom from God to, do, to obey that. Um, that kind of wisdom that would have young David take up his slingshot against Goliath, right? He needed wisdom from God, and the wisdom that he had is that God is an avenger of the enemies of Israel. That kind of wisdom that would have Ezekiel lie on his side for over a year, 390 days, as a testimony against the sins of the house of Israel. You think every kind of wisdom he had would have been saying something else. This, this, uh, my chiropractor is not going to go for, for this. Um, that kind of wisdom that would have the elders of Israel in awe of fishermen apostles. Right? They had wisdom from God and it put all the religious leaders in awe of fishermen. So the wisdom we receive from God is often seen by the world as foolishness. It's seen as imprudent. It's seen as, as, as craziness, as counterintuitive. Paul said it this way, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Right? We need that wisdom that comes down from above, the wisdom that God supplies that allows us to live for Him in a world that's filled with trials. Second thing we learn from verse 5 is that we are to ask God. This seems obvious, but it's worth stating, isn't it? We will often seek wisdom from every place but God. We'll make a decision based upon our, our analysis, right? A cost-benefit. Is this going to be good? Is this going to be bad? Does the good outweigh the bad? But um, without stopping to pray to God for the wisdom we need, we'll read book after book without looking to God's word for answer. We'll talk with mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers in Christ, uh, searching for somebody that will affirm or justify our desires, but... But we won't ask God to show us the path. 
Now don't, I mean, don't hear what I'm not saying. God may bring wisdom, his wisdom to you through other people. Right? He often does that. It often happens that way. But ask, you know, but ask God that he would do so. Ask God that he would give you wisdom. Um, Primarily when in a difficulty, we should be asking God to show us the way and then going to others, right, for their wisdom and their experience. This is faith, going to God and asking him first. Third, the third thing we learned from verse 5 is God is generous when we ask and will not smear our faces in the muck when we ask. He will, not make, he will not reproach us for asking, right? He will give without despising our need. Um, God is a father who delights to give his children gifts. He knows of their need and is joyful to give that which uh, will take away that need. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who, who asks receives, And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Do you know someone... Do you know someone who is incapable of giving something to someone without strings attached? Perhaps you should be thinking of yourselves. People like to lord their position of strength over over others who ask for help. Um, This is the kind of person who won't give to the church unless he can designate his giving. Right, unless he can tell you, because he has the wisdom about how the money is to be used and doesn't really trust the elders, right? There's strings attached. Um, he might think that the leadership will inevitably mishandle things. So he's going to bring some wisdom. Um, this is also the person who, who can't stand the needs somebody else has. Someone's children are not well disciplined. And that person asks for help. And you can't get past your dislike of those children to to help them. Um, So you give them a few platitudes about raising children, perhaps a story or two from your experience. But the last thing you'll do is invite them into your home regularly for discipleship. That's often the way we give to people. We know of their need and we judge them for their lack. Right, And we give a little bit, just enough to pat ourselves on the back, but not real help. We're those who give the beggar on the street corner the change in our cup holder and then a quick word, don't, don't spend it on alcohol. Right? We judge them for their need. We are those who are asked to, um, for money and, and, and quick to say, you know, you shouldn't be having these problems and I probably shouldn't help you. But out of the kindness of my heart, I'll help. It's not that way with God. It is not that way with God. He is a father who slaughters the fattened calf when the son arrives home after squandering his wealth. Think about that. God is the one who sends his son, last of all, 
after all the prophets that have been sent by him have been killed by the ones that they were sent to warn. God is the one who says, as it says in Ephesians, we will do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. He gives us more than we ask for. He goes above and beyond what we even ask for. That's the way that God works. Do you believe that this is how God works? Do you think that God is not generous? Are you disappointed with the provisions that the Lord has made for you? Have, have things not really gone as you desire? Do you have more grievances with God's not giving than you have thanksgivings for his generosity? Right? That, sh- that shouldn't be. That shouldn't be. God is generous. He's gracious. And it is time for all of us to acknowledge that. Now, in verses 6 and 7, we have some qualifying remarks to verse 5. James tells us that there's something that is required of us when we pray to God. He says this, but he must ask in faith without any doubting. James, in this passage, is restating what Jesus taught to his disciples. Right? In Matthew, or in Mark chapter 11, we read this. As they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. And being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. You know, and if we stop there, we want to get all like redemptive historical about that passage. But it says this after that, Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. See how James, Jesus' brother, is repeating what Jesus taught. Jesus says that when you ask things of God, when when we pray, making requests of him, we are to accompany those prayers with faith, casting out any doubt. And Jesus makes it clear that the faith he's speaking of is the faith that believes God will do as you asked him to do. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. Calvin says to have faith in God means to expect and to be fully assured of obtaining from God whatever we need. To expect from God that he will give us what we need. He goes on to say, Calvin does, this passage is exceedingly adapted to point out the power and nature of faith. That it is certainty, relying on the goodness of God, which does not admit of doubt. For Christ does not acknowledge as believers any but those who are fully convinced that God is reconciled to them and do not doubt that he will give what they ask. Faith, let remind you, is, is defined like this in the book of Hebrews. It is assurance of things hoped for and conviction of things not seen. Assurance and conviction. Faith. See how these fit into our discussion of prayer with faith. When we pray with faith, we have assurance and conviction. Right now, there are several difficulties, several dissonances in these passages. When we come to James 
1, 5 through 8, and, and the passage we read from Mark, we, we have a few troubling thoughts. First, many of us have prayed repeatedly for things, believing God can do as we ask, but the prayer has not been answered. Should we, therefore, ask ourselves whether we prayed with faith or prayed while doubting? At this point, um, many of us want to baptize our doubts by, you know, the waters of God's sovereignty. Um, In fact, you know, we tend toward hyper-Calvinism. We pray and then we shrug our shoulders and think, doesn't matter what I pray for, God will do as he wills. Indeed, that is true. But it is disobedience to pray in that manner. Right? We are to pray with faith, not merely pray with intellectual assent to the sovereignty of God as a concept. We're to pray with faith. We're to pray with, with, uh, with faith, a childlike faith that says, this is what I need and my Father has every resource at his, and, at his disposal and can give me what I need. Therefore, I'm going to ask him, and, and I'm going to get it. If, if the sovereignty of God makes you not pray or makes you lazy in your prayer, you're very confused. Is it not the fact that God is directing everything that comes to pass the very reason you pray? Right? Your prayer is an acknowledgement that God is sovereign and that his power and his work are real. You who believe God works in this way, have every reason. You have the one big reason why you should pray, which is he is powerful. On the other hand, many go a a slightly different way. You pray and thinking all the time that you pray, God is not going to do this. God won't do this. You don't believe what we talked about in verse 5, that he is generous. In fact, it may be worse than that. You think in your heart of hearts, you know, God cannot heal my body. God cannot provide for me the money I need just to pay my bills. God cannot make my, my brother a believer. God cannot make my husband a believer. God cannot make me have assurance of what is written in his word. Well, that's the very definition of praying without faith. Right? You, you will stop praying to a God that you think will or even can do nothing. You will stop praying. That may explain your prayerlessness. Right? Because you just think God is, is unable. Then there's the man who knows what he should be praying about. Asks God to do something and yet in his heart is saying, not yet. Not yet. Right? This, that's not the prayer of faith. Give me holiness, but not yet. The, the prayer of Augustine. You know, give me chastity, but not yet. Um, give me purity, but not yet. Give me righteousness, but let's start tomorrow. You know, turn, turn your face away from me so today I can enjoy myself. Um, give me sobriety after, after this last bottle of wine. Um, that is not praying with faith. 
another area of dissonance we have with this passage. This passage is used by those who teach such things as faith healing. They say that if you had enough faith, God would have heard your prayers and would have healed your deceased son or daughter or mother or father, whoever it may be. Now, this is, this is a difficult passage because we, what we're looking at really does connect the results of our prayer with our faith. And yet the answers that God gives are often not simple answers. They're not simple answers, right? In the particular situation of the death of a friend or of of a believer's child, we must believe that God's answer was healing. But healing outside of this world, right? Healing in his presence. The one who says that, Had you had faith, your daughter would be alive is fixated on this world, right? And does not have the glories of eternity and the life to come in mind. They're short-sighted materialists in a sense who don't acknowledge that God's workings are mysterious, that God's workings are way beyond our ways. Another person may be praying for assurance of faith, but God has been distant. But in that case, God may be disciplining you so that you have assurance that is formed not by ease, but by struggle. Right? Not just a mountaintop mystical experience, sort of where the lights click on assurance, but it, an assurance that comes through, through mucking through your sin and through the scriptures to find Jesus Christ. The confession of faith gets at this when it says this. We looked at this passage of the confession uh, on Saturday. God does not continue to, excuse me, God does continue to forgive the sins of those that are justified. And although they can never fall from that state of justification, yet they may by their sins fall under God's fatherly displeasure and not have the light of his countenance restored to them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. That's how the assurance might come through that struggle. Another difficulty of the passage is this. For many, it seems to assign too much power to man and to diminish the sovereign power of God. But as I said before, prayer is an affirmation of the sovereign power of God. Faith is is also an affirmation of the sovereign power of God. There's, um, there's one thing I can't explain to you, and no one else can, and don't believe in them if they can. It's a mystery how our prayers work together within God's foreordaining whatsoever comes to pass. It works. I can say things like he ordained the prayers that led to the decrees. I can say things like God uses secondary means. And right alongside that, I have to say what Scripture says, what it says later in the the book of James, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. But, and here's, here's the point, as I said before, we mustn't baptize our unbelieving prayers with the waters of the sovereignty of God. Right? We must not un, must not have faithless prayers and then say, you know, God's going to do whatever he wants. That's, that's an unbelieving prayer. That's a prayer that casts an accusation at God. Right? 
Like, this is I, what I want, and it's good, and I'll ask for it, but God's not, he's going he's gonna to see the need with reproach. He's not going to be generous. He's not going to give. And so at times we scoff at a passage like this and say, when is my faith ever going to be what it should be? You know, God is sovereign anyway. Many of us suck the guts out of this passage and never once consider the weakness of our faith and the unbelief that is wrapped up in our prayers. Right? In fact, you know, at this point, you want me to break the tension and say something like, well, God's going to accept your prayers by grace. He's going to sanctify them. Of course, there's always going to be a gap between my faith and my prayers, but it makes no difference to God. That's what you want me to say, but that is not the testimony of Scripture. That is not what our passage says. It says that you and I must ask in faith without any doubting. God expects that when we come to Him, we believe that He can and will do what we ask of Him. Of course, he's, He's going to be gracious at points by not giving us what we ask for, uh, of course, we have, you know, we have to ask for things that are according to his will and his word. You should never ask him to accept your adulteries and infidelities, for example, but you must ask in faith without any doubting. In other words, prayer is not in and of itself powerful. Why would it please us if, if I were to say, God hears the prayers of those who doubt. Well, because so often we doubt, and so often our prayers are said without faith. But what is true is this, only prayer by faith is powerful. Prayer in and of itself is not powerful, but only prayer in faith is powerful. Only the prayer that looks to God, that looks to God in His awesome, unmatchable, utterly unstoppable power and says He can and will. He can and will. It's powerful. So we often sanctify our doubt, whether it's, you know, and that doubt of God can just be born from our our lack of knowledge or from disappointments that we've felt over the years or, or even our theological commitments can make us doubt. But think about this for a moment. Why do, you, why do you go to certain people or certain businesses and ask them to do something for you? You go to the oil change place because you know they can change your oil and you have a need for an oil change. You go to the magistrate and plead, uh, for instance, for the custody of your child because you know he has the power to grant you that custody. You also know that if you don't go and ask, you will not get what you desire. Why is it, you know, that which is so simple everywhere else in our lives is so hard to understand when it comes to God Almighty? Is it because of the weakness of our faith? When we boil it down to the essence, we believe that God is just a sovereign taskmaster who cares nothing about our desires, or we believe that he is weak. And that he's impotent. He can't do what we ask him. And that is weak faith. And here's the result of that. The one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man not 
ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. God is generous, right? God is generous. He desires to give his children good gifts. If you have forgotten this or if you don't believe it for one reason or another, you will not pray with faith. You may pray as a habit. You may pray as a duty. You may pray as a a nice Christian thing to do. You may pray as meditation. You may pray self-referentially, right? But it is the prayer of a double-minded man, and you should, as James says, expect nothing. If, on the other hand, you believe that there is nothing that God cannot do, that He is omnipotent, and that this, that that is where faith is exercised, He hears you and acts when you ask with childlike confidence, then you have prayed with faith. You can expect expect your prayers to be effective. You should expect the skies to dry up for three and a half years. Right? You should expect to get what God has promised to give. It's my hope that, that we as a church will exercise that sort of faith. That our prayers will be enlarged because of our faith. Our prayers are inhibited because of our doubts. We restrict our prayers because we think God can't do what we ask for. I mean, do you find yourself restricting your prayers because of that? That's an, that's an outlandish prayer. I mean, to pray for the conversion of Donald Trump? Seems foolish to, to pray that. So far away. And yet, God converted you. It's not that far away. It's not that hard. Elijah prayed and the the skies dried up for three and a half years according to the will of God. You should expect God to to, um, give what he has promised to give. So so, um, let let us pray in this way. It is encouraging to hear people pray with faith. It's encouraging to hear people pray with that childlike faith for things that I think are just sort of imprudent. And like, whoa, you know, I don't, yeah. What if God doesn't answer that prayer? That's going to that's gonna be embarrassing having prayed that. Well, that's doubt. He won't answer that prayer. It's set in doubt. In all things, we should turn to God in prayer with the expectation that he will do as we ask. If um, that kind of faith, this kind of prayer characterizes this church, we will be a city set on a hill and and a powerful light in the midst of darkness. And this church will only thrive if if we pray by faith, if our prayers are set in faith, if we rely on God and not on simply the work of our own hands, but in praying to God as if it all depended on Him, right? Yeah. Let's pray. Father, we pray and ask that you would fill our minds with the kind of faith that is written about in 
this chapter, faith without any doubting.